So this morning, we're going to be reading John chapter 13, verses 18 through 30. John chapter 18, or John chapter 13, verse 18 through verse 30. So I do trust you have your, your Bibles with you this morning, because uh, I, I have many faults. One of them is I think I should tell you everything that I've learned. and, and that's, Well, we'll just leave that there. Uh, but nonetheless, um, and uh, I can't possibly tell you everything that I've learned, and maybe it's not even 100% correct. So you need to also be looking at your Scriptures and studying your Scriptures and taking notes, if you will, um, and to go home and study the Scriptures to see if these things are so. It's so important because we believe that our Bible is the inspired Word of God. We believe that it is inerrant and that it is without error. There's many things that we don't understand, and we believe that it was given inspirationally to these authors who wrote as they were moved along by the Holy Spirit. And, and, and therefore, uh, we must take them very seriously, the good and the bad, those we understand and those we don't understand, and acknowledge it all as a, as a word from God. So we want to start reading at verse 18, John chapter 13, starting at verse 18, and God's inspired and errant word reads, I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen. This is Jesus speaking. I know the ones I have chosen. But it is that the Scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. From now on, I am telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. He who receives me receives him who sent me. And when Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, that one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. There was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. So Simon Peter gestured to him and said to him, Tell us, who it is of whom he is speaking. He, leaning back thus on Jesus' bosom, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus then answered, This is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. After the morsel, Satan then entered into him. And therefore Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. Now no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. For some were supposing, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus was saying to him, Buy the things we need for the feast, or else that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately, and it was night. Father, we would just ask a blessing upon the reading of your word. And now as we spend a few moments looking at this, Lord, I just pray that that your Holy Spirit would illuminate this text for us so that we not only understand it, but we also know how to apply it to our life. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Unveiling, unveiling the betrayer. It's what I've titled this message this morning. And uh, it's not necessarily a, a passage of Scripture that I cared to, to 
preach on or to speak on or add some commentary to it, but it is what comes next in line. Unveiling the betrayer. Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, is a biblical character we try our best to avoid. Why do we do our best to avoid Judas? Maybe it's because of the hopelessness that we see in his life. After the ascension of Jesus, when the apostles were discerning a replacement for Judas, they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all men, show which one of these you have chosen to occupy this ministry and the, the, the um, apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. The word, own place comes from the Greek meaning a place of torment or evil. And Jesus prayed in His high priestly prayer, while I was with them, I was keeping them in Your name, which You have given Me, and I guarded them. And not one of them perished, but the son of perdition. Son of perdition is a Hebrew idiom for one destined to perish. How sobering. How depressing a life. No wonder we rarely hear a sermon preached on the life of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. But we would do well to look humbly at this story of a life so tragically ended and ask, Lord, could it be I? Could it be I? But first we will start with the omniscience of Jesus. Where else to start but the omniscience of Jesus? In verses 18 through 20. It starts with verse 18, where Jesus says that I do not speak of all of you, pointing back to or drawn forward what we have already covered in verses 10 and 11, where he had said, he said that you are clean, but not all of you. And then verse 11, he said, not all of you are, are clean. And then in verse 18, he continues and he says that I know the ones or the one that I have chosen. This was no accident. Jesus didn't just randomly choose the 12. Jesus had a specific person for each one of the 12 that he had chosen, including Judas. In John chapter 6, verses 17, he says, did I myself not choose you, the 12? And one of you is a devil. And then also in the high priestly prayer of Jesus, he said that I guarded them. As he prays to the Father for the twelve, he said, I guarded them and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture may be fulfilled. Jesus didn't choose haphazardly. Jesus chose on purpose and for a purpose. In Acts chapter 1, I already alluded to this. Acts chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. It says this um, as they were looking to replace Judas. As they went up to the upper room after the ascension of Jesus, and they said, Hey, we need to find someone to fulfill the ministry of Jesus. For an apostle, an apostle needed to be somebody who walked with Jesus, who seen with Jesus, who physically was there with Jesus. That's why there's no longer apostles today. But the apostles, the biblical apostle, walked with Jesus, and they seen Jesus, they talked with Jesus. And so they said, hey, we need to replace Judas. And this is what they were doing. And in verse 16, they said, brethren, 
The Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received his share in this ministry. He received his share in this ministry, if you will. He had a twelfth of a share of the ministry here. Now this, this, this word here, here, share, it's a responsibility or ministry which has been assigned to a person. So it's a responsibility or a ministry that has been assigned to a person. Another lexicon that I depend upon heavily defines it like this, says that which is being assigned by lot or simply given as a portion or share. Other Greek literature uses this word, the ancient Greek literature, uses this word here translated as share here, uses it this way. What comes to someone by divine grace or the eternal portion bestowed by the gods. This was a ministry that Judas was given. This was not a ministry that he bought. This was not a ministry that he sought. This may not even have been a ministry that he desired to take, but it was given to him. It was given to him. Others may at times coming current day find themselves in a ministry that they wouldn't necessarily choose for themselves. Maybe they find themselves that God is using them in a way that they wouldn't necessarily choose for themselves. It's given to them by God. That's what we find out here in Judas. So it doesn't matter. Don't let anyone tell you that there's no purpose that they have in life. Every single purpose has been born for a purpose and on a purpose. And this morning we look at the very negative side of that, but no less important. Judas was given a portion or a share of this ministry on purpose for, for a purpose. We must, we must start there. We must understand that Judas was no accident, that Jesus didn't accidentally choose Judas. Judas was chosen for this very specific person or for this very specific reason. As uncomfortable as it is, that is what God's Word does tell us. So Judas was assigned a portion or a part, a role, a ministry. It was given to him, and Jesus said, I know, in verse 18, I know who I'm choosing. I know who I chose. I'm, I'm chosen for a reason, and, and I chose him on purpose. Jesus, John, and John also records for us in 15, 16 that Jesus said, you did not choose me. You, you didn't raise your hand when I said I'll take volunteers to follow me. No, I chose you. Later on in the same chapter, Jesus says, I chose you out of the world. You were part of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, and because of that, the world hates you. This is, this is the instructions that Jesus... Now, who's going to sign up for that? Jesus says, you didn't sign up for it, but I chose you for this, for this reason. In verse 19, verse 19, Jesus says here, I'm going to keep knocking that thing off. Maybe, maybe I should just leave it there. Huh? Maybe I should just leave it there. We try our best to get some decent sound for those of you at home. I hope you appreciate that. Um, <laughs> so where was I? Yes, verse 19. Jesus says here in verse 19, Jesus says this. He says that from now on, I am telling you before it comes to pass. 
I'm telling you, before it ever even happens, before it even comes to pass, verse 19, that when it does occur, that you may believe that, that I am He. And so when I'm portrayed, Jesus is saying, when, when the traitor comes and portrays me, don't be discouraged, don't be upset, don't be deceived by the traitor, but know that I was fully aware of what was going to happen. Right from the very beginning, I was fully aware of what was going to happen. In fact, it is the, it is the I told you, right? And there's often times that that happens. Don't you love that? That something happens and somebody else comes up to you, well, I could have told you that was going to happen. Not helpful, is it? Right? And so Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to tell you before it happens what's going to happen, and that way you'll believe. You know, it reminded me back of my construction days. Uh, I would always tell the homeowner as I would close out the house. I mean, it became so routine for me. I had these things memorized. I, I wake up dreaming about them sometimes. But, but at our closing, we called it a closing at our final walkthrough and a closing, I would always tell the homeowners this. I can give you a couple guarantees. Guarantee number one, your foundation is going to crack. That's acceptable. There's nothing wrong with that. What's not acceptable is water comes through that foundation. Guarantee number two, your concrete driveway is going to crack. What's not acceptable is it starts flaking off. Guarantee number three, your drywall is going to crack. That's going to happen as the house settles. Call me. I'll send the drywaller back. I'll send the painter back. We'll take care of it. But these things are going to happen. Don't be alarmed. Now, that was informative, was it not? Because when it happened, they could say, oh, I was told this was going to happen. How would have it gone if I wouldn't have said that? And then later I say, well, yeah, I knew that was going to happen, right? I mean, it's that same old thing. It's just you're making an excuse then, right? It's easy to say after the fact, oh, yeah, that's what happens. And so that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus didn't wait for them to say after the fact, okay, fellas, hey, listen here, guys. Yeah, I know Judas betrayed us. And yeah, man, wow, I'm not sure. But, but believe me, I knew this was going to happen. Yeah, right, you did, right? So Jesus says, look, that's not the case. I'm going to tell you right up front what's going to happen. I'm going to be betrayed that way. That way, when it happens, you will know. And I also, I, I must take this opportunity also to remind you of the very last sentence of, of verse 19. Why This, this is so important for, for John, our gospel writer here, and that people believe in Christ. And I remind you again of the whole purpose statement for the gospel of John found in John chapter 20, verse 31, where John said, these things were written. Many things could have been written, but these things were written so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. It's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying so that you may believe, so that you may believe. Verse 20, amen, amen. It's not what it says. It, it says truly, truly. In essence, that's amen, amen. Jesus is, 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 is solidifying, is establishing this, 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 this benchmark, if you will. I say to you, he who receives, whoever I send receives me, and he who receives him receives me. Jesus is saying, listen, listen, you're not going to be canceled, right? You're not going to be canceled just because of the bad things that are going to come, because of the bad things that are going to happen, and the name that you're going to have as Christians not a complimentary name. 
And as you go through life and people are going to hate you, you're not going to be canceled. Those who I have chosen will receive you. So Jesus is telling them here in verse 20, take heart, don't be discouraged. Yes, the next few days, actually this evening and, and the next two days, things are going to look really, really bad. And Jesus is telling them all up front. They couldn't really understand. How could they? But at least once it happened, and, and then they knew. Well, anyways, that's the omniscience of Jesus. Now, let, let us dig now into the, to the heart here of this passage. In verses 21 through verse 22, the news that Jesus is giving them, the information that he's telling them leaves them speechless. Leaves them speechless. In fact, Jesus himself says in verse 21, he says that when Jesus had said this, when Jesus had told them of things that are going to be coming, he became troubled in spirit. And he testified and said, truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. He became troubled in spirit and he testified, testified. It's a courtroom term. It's, it's, it's a witness. He gave witness before a court, if you will, but he was troubled in spirit, not, ex it wasn't necessarily noticed on his exterior, but within his spirit, he was greatly troubled. And here we can see the love Jesus has for everyone, even those who like Judas, will betray him. How much time and energy went into discipling Judas? How much prayer? How many tears? How many long hours? How much energy went into discipling Judas? And now his hour, Jesus' hour has come. And with it, the unveiling of the betrayer. How much damage will be done to the others? Think about it. How much hurt? How many questions will rise up in their minds? How many doubts? How much anger? This is why Jesus is troubled in spirit. It's only natural, wouldn't it be? I've invested how much time in this person, in her or, or he? Some of you I know are great mentors of many people. How much time do we invest in people only to have them reject it? We take it personally, don't we? We shouldn't, but we do. Jesus could take it personally. So he must have felt those things, and he knew that the others would also feel those things. And then in verse 22, it says that they are at a loss. The disciples, they began to look one another. I mean, even Peter was speechless for a moment. They began to look at one another. And they were at a loss to know which one of them was speaking or which one he was speaking of. Ha, ha. They were speechless in verse 22. At a loss to know. How could it be possible? How is it possible that one, I mean, we slept together, we ate together, we traveled together, we did everything together for three years. Three years may not seem like a, a long time, but if it's 24-7, it's a long time to have intense ministry. Think about Jesus walking on the water. Think about Jesus healing the blind, healing the lame, healing those who are dead, rising Lazarus from the grave, all these things. How could it possibly be that one of us, one of the inner circle, 
is going to betray Jesus. It can't possibly, can't possibly be. This, this, this word here, at a loss. It's just to be in perplexity. To be in a confused state of mind. Yeah. Can, can agree with that, right? In Mark chapter 14, verse 19, it tells, uh, as Mark's account of this story, he says this, he says, and they began to be grieved and to say to him one by one, surely not I, surely not I. Matthew chapter 26, verse 25, includes the same thing. It says that in Judas, who was betraying, said, surely it is not I, Rabbi. Huh. The depths of depravity, right? That G Judas went right along with the other 11 and said, surely it's not I, Lord. Surely I didn't do it. I mean, for three years I've, I've, been, I've been fooling you. Judas is going along thinking he can still squirm out of this deal, right? He can go along still that he's not going to be caught, that he's still not, that Jesus doesn't, doesn't really know what he's talking about. Judas, in essence, is challenging Jesus' infallible knowledge. Judas said, no, 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 Jesus doesn't really know. Jesus, Judas has gotten away with it for so long. Jesus doesn't know. He's gotten away with it so long that he became comfortable in it, right? He became comfortable with living the lie, with going along as he was going, helping himself out of the money box, as the Scriptures tell us, and going along and doing his own thinking and looking, how can I manipulate this thing that Israel, right, can rise up once again and be the dominant power instead of Rome? How can I manipulate this situation for my, for my gain? You know, I, I couldn't couldn't help but also bring it home to myself. How many times have I lived a lie? How many times do I tuck things into the darkest parts of my mind and think, well, nobody will know this. Surely nobody will find out about this. Surely I can keep this secret. I know God's watching, but I don't really see him anywhere, And right? Let us not make a mockery of God. Hebrews 4.13 tells us that there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things. All things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. We will stand before a holy and a righteous God. There will be nothing hidden at that time. Nothing hidden at that time at all. I know it gets heavy. I know it gets heavy. Well... Then we finally have the unveiling, the unveiling of the betrayer in verses 23 to 26. Starting in verse 23, there was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Now, now there, there's a lot of terminology there that we don't quite understand. They certainly didn't sit around the kitchen table as we do, as you yourself will probably do here in a, in a short while and have lunch or However you do it, uh, maybe you sit in front of the TV and watch, is there a football game on today? I don't know. Shows what I know, but I'm not sure. But anyways, uh, nonetheless. But, but here, they would literally recline 
where they would kind of lay back. You know, you've heard all these things before, the whole picture of the 12 posing for a selfie, all lined up 12. That's not right. You know, they, they kind of were in this little circle, and, and that's what, that's what they, they have here. And I, and I love this, how John, we know it's John, but it says, there was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. That's an interesting way of John naming himself. I mean, I mean, if I was Jesus' favorite, right, I don't know that I would have termed, termed it that way. I would have probably called myself out. Hey, it's a selfish plug. I mean, I'm telling a story. Obviously, I need to mention my name. But, but nonetheless, we see the humility of John that John has himself in this story as he's writing this. But there he was reclining on Jesus' bosom, one of the, one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. And so Simon Peter, finally Peter, you knew he couldn't be quiet for long, Right? <laughs> I mean, he's a lot like me. He couldn't be quiet for very long. He had to say something. And so he says, hey, 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 John. I mean, it gives us this idea of a gesture, gestured to him, gestured to John. Hey, hey, John, tell us, who is it? He, he, he loves you. You got your head basically laying in his lap. You got to love right there. Who is it? Right? Ask him. Go ahead and ask him. Who, who was it? Well, I find that kind of interesting because that's out of character for Peter. Right? Peter is the kind of guy, um, I love to make fun of him, but because I guess I, anyways. Um, but Peter is the kind of guy, he would just speak up, right? I mean, I, I can't see why he was quiet here. I could see him as blurting it out across the room. Hey, Jesus, who is he? I'm going to take him out, <laughs> right? I mean, that, that's Peter's M.O. That's how he, he functions. That's how he operates. He's done it in the, in the past. In Matthew, when, when, when Jesus said, look, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to leave. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to rise again. It's all going to be okay, guys. Right? They didn't understand any of it. And, and Peter says, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but on man's interest. We know so little. We know so little, and yet we demand so much. I know so little, and yet I demand so, so much. God, no, 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 no. Let me tell you, God, that's not how it's going to go down, right? That's not how it's going to happen. Let me tell you how it's going to happen, and I'm going to think it, and I'm going to believe it. Therefore, it shall be. Get in line, God. Right? That's what we do. That's what Peter was doing. In John chapter 18, we're going to get there here sometime in the next, in a while. But, but Peter, as they actually, Judas did betray him in the garden, and Peter brings out this sword as they came to, to, to the whole guard, like 500 people came to arrest Jesus. I mean, I, I don't know exactly. That's kind of what commentaries tell me about 500 people. That seems like a lot, but let's even say it was 50 people. Jesus whips out his, or Peter whips out his sword, <laughs> hacks off the guy's ear. That's Peter, right? That's how Peter operates. So I don't really think that Peter was trying to be all polite all of a sudden and said, hey, John, ask him who it was. No, I think Peter had intentions to take the guy out. <laughs> I mean, that Peter believed things. I mean, he, and I think that's what he was going to do here. I think Peter would single-handedly have taken out the betrayer. That's the passion. That's the energy. That's the confusion that was at that dinner that night as we try to wrap our mind 
the, around the scene that was unfolding here. In verse 26, it says that Jesus then answered, this is the one. I'll tell you who it's going to be. It's going to be the one that, why doesn't Jesus just say it? So he plays these little games, right? Well, I'm going to take a piece of bread, and I'm going to dip it into this bowl, and then I'm going to give it to the person. Just tell me. But Jesus doesn't function that way, and here I am telling Jesus how to do it, right? So Jesus then answered and said, This is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he dipped the morsel, he, he took and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Now, now Judas was probably on Jesus' left. The place of honor would have certainly been onto the right, which John evidently was sitting there. And P Peter wasn't on, on the next place of honor, but it would have been Judas. And, and for the tradition, for the culture of the day, it would have been a cultural thing uh, to first serve a guest of honor. And so to take that bread, a, a piece of flat bread of some sort, maybe dip it in some hummus, or something, and, and hand it off to that guest. That that was a that was a, a a gesture of honor. You were you were honoring honoring that that person. That's what that's what Jesus was doing. And so, for Jesus to do exactly what he did, certainly wouldn't have raised any questions. It certainly wouldn't have said, I "Wonder why Jesus is doing that." Certainly wouldn't have done that. But I do find it interesting that uh, for that act, if that's exactly what Jesus was doing. Jesus just got done also washing Judas' feet. Washing his betrayer's feet. And now he hands him that. He honors the man at the dinner, at his dinner. I was left wondering, though, as you think about passing that bread or a morsel of food, whatever it might, it might have been, passing it to Judas, how can you take something from someone with not having eye contact, right? What must have that? What must have those eyes said as Judas reached out and took that bread? Think he's seen in Jesus' eyes, Judas. It's not too late. It's not too late. There is a disastrous ending. Jesus or Judas did not take Jesus up on his offer, which we know was there. Jesus never gives up on a man or a woman. Jesus gives up on no one who's seeking him from a sincere heart, God's word tells us. Well, verse 27, after the morsel, after Jesus, Judas took the morsel, took the bread, Satan then entered into him. Satan then entered into to Judas. Matthew chapter 4, verse 10 at the time of Jesus' temptation, the devil also came and, and tempted Jesus in, in many different ways, we are told, the Scriptures tell us. And Jesus always refused, no, get behind me, Satan. It is written, Satan. And he always spoke back. Acts chapter 5, verse 3, as the new church is starting, after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, and as the disciples are left on their own for a while and, and starting the church, it's the beginning of the church, there came one Ananias who said, hey, I've sold this land. Here's the proceeds from it. And they said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie 
to the Holy Spirit? Why has he, he done that? Again, Ananias allowed this to take place. Romans chapter 128, Paul tells the church at Rome there, and he says, they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. God gave them over to the depraved mind. So, okay, you want to take the bread? I'm not going to refuse it. I'm not going to stop you. You can take it. God gave them over. 1 Corinthians would tell us that I discipline my body, Paul said. I discipline my body and make it my doulos, make it my slave, not servant, not bond servant, none of that nonsense. Make it my slave. That's the word. Paul says, I discipline my body. It is by Christ alone, by God alone that we trust that we've already talked about here this morning. But that doesn't mean we don't play a part. We must make our human flesh by the power of God our slave and listen to us. We not say, well, this is what my body's telling me. God's word tells something different. We must put our body, our life, our actions, our wants and our desires in submission to God's word. God's word also tells us that we are to test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourself. Examine yourself. Does your heart grieve when you offend Jesus? We think about testing myself. Well, how do we do that? That sounds all legalistic. No, no, it's not. Every single one of us, we all fail. We all make mistakes. We all have our bad days or bad hours. Maybe some bad days with bad hours, it gets down to bad minutes, right? Does it grieve our heart knowing? Not that we're unsaved, not that God's going to reject us, but does it grieve our hearts knowing that we have grieved the heart of Jesus? That's how we examine to see if we're in the faith. If we don't care, if we don't even think about it, it's a good possibility we're not in the faith. Well, verse 27, Jesus tells Judas to, hey, what you do, do quickly. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. It is interesting, although Satan had completely taken over the life of Judas at this point, God is still in command. Jesus is still the one giving the orders. Jesus is still telling Judas, filled with Satan, what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. And no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose that he had said this to him, that he had told Judas to do what he did, to do quickly. They heard that part. They didn't know why he, he said that. Well, why did he say that? And all of a sudden, Judas gets up, gets up and, and, and he leaves. And we must also realize here, because we can paint Judas as I maybe am here this morning, because uh, he is, but paint is you know, a very depraved person, completely taken over by Satan, which he is. Um, but we also must understand that they had, they had given Judas the place of authority. He, he was the treasurer. He was in charge of, uh, of the money box. He had the place of authority within the group when it came to some of those things. They're not just going to let anybody, they're not going to put me in charge of the money box. I don't even have, never mind. They're not going to, you know, it's, it's the people, right? We put people in place of power, people in place of authority that we trust, that we have great respect for. We don't see the heart, though, do we? And I could just imagine the hurt, the pain, the anger that would have come from the other 12, that those that they had invested this trust, that those they have granted this power, 
They didn't just betray Jesus, Judas did, but they also betrayed them. Judas says, why was this perfume sold? Why wasn't it sold? Why did you waste a year's worth of salary in dumping this perfume on the feet of Jesus? We could have taken that money. We could have taken the perfume. We could have sold it. We could have given it to the poor. Who's going to argue with that? No one. Judas was a well-respected member of the Twelve, and he had an important role, role to play. Verse 30, after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately. He went out immediately. I mean, the gig is up, right? I mean, it's up. He's been found out. He's, it's over. What a disastrous end. What a disastrous end. Matthew 27, verse 5, Judas went away and hung himself. Judas didn't repent. Judas didn't then turn back to Christ as we're going to see Peter does and some of the others. How sad. Acts chapter 1, verse 18, as the disciples were trying to replace Judas, said, now this man acquired a field, speaking of Judas, with the price of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his intestines gushed out. Well, now there's a nice picture right before lunch. Those are hard things. So easy to just overlook them. Just so easy to, to compartmentalize and put it out of our minds and just skip right over. In fact, maybe as a side note, many people, or those who want to reject, reject God's word as authoritative, inerrant, and inspired, We'll look at this, these two verses right there as a reason why we can't trust it. Because here Matthew says that he hung himself. Well, obviously if the rope breaks or the limb breaks or whatever, you're not going to end up on your head. You're not going to end up, how is that even possible? Therefore, we can't trust the scriptures, really. Interesting. There's a lot of scenarios that could cause a body to flip upside down, and I don't even care to get into all that stuff. But all I'm saying is, those who want to use these little arguments like this to dispute the authority of the scriptures... They're not putting those same, that same criteria on the rest of ancient literature, but, but nonetheless, I'll get off my, my little soapbox there. But I, I get really frustrated with people um, who want to deny the authority of Scripture. It's either all believable, as I engage with somebody this week, it's either all believable, I'm not saying, or it's none of it's believable. What I'm saying is it's either all believable, or I'm not sure we can trust any of it. I'm not saying we can't, Right? Right? So if we say that, well, this part is true and that part is not true, well, who gives you the right? Who gives me the right to say which part is which part isn't? Nonetheless, the Scriptures tell us what happened, that Judas went out and hung himself. Numbers chapter 32, verse 23. Be sure your sin will find you out. Did you know that verse was in the Old Testament? Uh, you hear it quoted all the time, right? I mean, this, this goes to show, I mean, I don't know, if, but I thought, well, that came to mind, and I was like, so I Google it, yeah, be sure you said it. It's like numbers, like, nah, I can't be right. It's got to be the New Testament, or it's got to be some saying or something. Nonetheless, it's in numbers. Be sure your sin will find you out. And that's what we certainly see happen right here, do we not? In Corinthians, it says, the Lord will bring both to light the things that are hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of the heart. He went out and it was night. And now much could be said about that last little phrase of the 30th chapter. And no doubt it wasn't for John. John puts great significance on meaning, on dual meanings. And so I do think that John had a, had a purpose here, but we're not going to get into that. I, I just want to say that it indeed was night. Anyone who rejects Christ is certainly walking in darkness, and yet Jesus said came to be the light of the world so that we don't have to walk in darkness. John chapter 3, verse 19, I'll close with this. 
We know John chapter 3, 16, but we got to continue reading. It says, this is the judgment, right? The light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as being, as having been wrought in God. Look, we all want to come before God, do we not? We don't like to. There was a saying, and I, I probably said this before, and, and uh, time to say it again, I guess, but there was a time in my life where I had this little saying everywhere, everywhere, and it was no dark corners, right? No secrets anymore. Done with the secrets, done with everything needs to be brought before the light, no matter how painful it is. That's what we need to do. We need to bring everything. That's what Judas could have done. But rather, he chose not to. Come to the light while the light is still here. Father, I pray a blessing upon your word. And as we think of a, of a, a life ending in disaster, Lord, I'd just as soon not read that account or that story. And yet, Lord, within it we find your truths and a great warning. Not just a great warning, but also a great encouragement knowing that even as you extend your grace to us one more time and our eyes meet, Lord, you never, ever give up on anyone. And so we thank you for that offer. And I pray, Lord, that every single person here has accepted your offer of grace, mercy, forgiveness. Father, if there's somebody here this morning that has continued to reject you, Father, would this be the morning that you can open their heart and open their the mind, offer them the freedom that they're so desperately in need of. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.